Oh, well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. We're going we're gonna to take a moment during the service at the end of the message to minister and pray for you men in our midst. What a gift you are to so many. So grateful to be celebrating today with you. Hey, thank you for the team that went to Mexico. I don't know if we've got all those guys back and returned. Looking forward to getting to download uh, lots of very encouraging uh, testimonies and stories of what God did while the team was down there and all that got accomplished. Uh, but grateful as well for the prayer support, the financial help that it takes for us to, to send folks and to do missions work. So grateful for the church as well. All right, I got a lot of things I, I want to introduce to you this morning. So I think everybody got a, a little booklet looking deal when you came in this morning. Get that out with me and look at it. Or if you're hip and happening, you can go to your app. And this is all available on the app. The app version is more helpful than this because there's links on it that everything that's in here, you can just click a button and it's going to take you right to the links that are about these things. But Summer Prayer Jam, many of you guys who have been in the church for a season, if you open that up, you'll see an overview and a, and a little bit of an explanation um, Every summer we have intentionally set aside significant lengths of time to focus our attention. Usually we call it summer Bible jam. And so it's just a time when we have reinvigorated our love for the Bible and and tried to preach messages and, and make resources available and encourage the church to engage the Bible in the way God has wanted us to engage his word to where we're excited to read his word. We love interacting with God through the Bible. And, and we know just as you do life, you can lose that along the way. And so Summer Bible Jam has been about just creating the adventure once again of being in God's word. Well, this summer we felt like the Lord was leading us into emphasizing prayer in that same way. Uh, so this is going to be called Summer Prayer Jam. And our intention is for you to emerge from the other side of this summer with a deeper love and enjoyment and richness in your prayer life. And so we're going to preach messages. The, the series is going to be called Heroes of the Prayer Closet. And what we hope is, and I, I wanted to do a survey on this. So, so maybe we'll just have to do a survey that, that takes up where you were when you started this summer and where you were when you finished. But, you know, without, you don't have to show your hands here, but, you know, a prayer closet is what we're going to learn about today to introduce the series. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a place. It's a meeting time. It's got certain characteristics to it. And what we're going to learn today is everybody needs one. So, you know, everybody's got all kinds of closets that they store stuff in. You got a garage, you know what a garage is for. You got a kitchen, you know what a kitchen is for, right? A prayer closet is for something and everybody needs one, right? That's what we want to get to this morning. But if I were to ask you right now, do you have a prayer closet? And you were to start to think about that and you'd say, well, you know, a place that I consistently go and meet with God, uh, you know, Maybe you'd say yes, maybe you'd say no, maybe you'd say you used to have one. Our goal is at the end of this summer that everybody has a prayer closet that you identify meeting with God in that place in a significant way. And that's what we hope these messages will do. So, so here's the layout. If you look in your little app or in this page here with me, summer landmarks. 
You'll see the ingredients there. There's several ingredients to what we want to do. There's messages and workshops throughout the summer. There's resources for personal reading. Uh, remember, we, we, we learn stuff not just when we come together on a Sunday, but there's resources for that. And there's a back page or links that will take you directly to these things if you're in the app. Resources for prayer. We've made a lot of those available, but here's just some new ones and some fresh ones. Uh, constructing your personal prayer closet. We're going to give some, some helpful insights in that. Matter of fact, you will see just a, a framework in your outline there in the middle of that. It says outline for personal and group prayer. Just a way for you to climb into your prayer closet. What do I do? What do I do that I'm here, now that I'm here? Well, here's some steps. Here's some places on approaching God and then listening to the Spirit and meditative prayer and intercessory prayer. So there's some steps that you can take. If, and if you've got your own, these are just suggestions. So if you've got a way of getting in the presence of God that, that God is using in your life, by all means, just keep doing that. Uh, and then gathering with others for prayer. Let me just highlight that last thing on the opposite page here. Discipleship prayer groups. But one of the things that we want to do with, with the summer Bible jam, we did this and we want to do it with summer prayer jam as well. We want to make you love these things that God wants us to love. These are not just obligations. Christians are supposed to read their Bible. No, I want to be on an adventure. I want to open the Bible up. I want to can't wait to get my time with God in his word and in prayer. That's what we want this to feel like. But the second thing we want to do is, is we want to invite Christians to find these activities with others to just be normal. Normal Christian activity. You don't have, the church doesn't have to call a meeting. Your small group leader doesn't have to insist that everybody do X, Y, or Z. It is a normal thing for Christians to get together and just read the Bible and talk about it. That's normal. Now that may be rare, but it's normal. It's a normal thing for Christians to get together and, and have times of prayer. Just wait on God together and, and pray and be sensitive to the Spirit and pick Take up one another's burdens and pray for things that matter in each other's lives. And so we, we want to do this. Normally our small groups have a schedule and you're invited to be a part of them, etc. In the summer, we, we kind of like to push that back into everybody's laps. And, and we're not going to schedule stuff. You're the schedulers. You create the meetings. And so here's what you do with a summer prayer jam discipleship group. There, that first line. These, these are groups of two to ten people who come together for a time of prayer. And there's a little explanation there further. But create some gatherings where you pray with some other people that are in your life. Maybe they're just friends that you've been walking with. Maybe they're people you've loved to get together with, just haven't made the time for it. And throughout the summer, create two, three, four places throughout the summer where you're just going to meet together, take some of what you're learning this summer and some things that God has shown you, and pray with one another. It could be a few couples getting together. It could be families finding some time to pray together. Could be a group of your friends that just regularly hang out. That, you know, I know this is weird, right? You know, you're used to getting together and watching a ball game. That's just what you guys do. You know, you kind of hang out, you watch a ball game, and then all of a sudden somebody's going to go, hey, how about we pray? How about we have some time of prayer? I mean, that can feel like, what? Wait, what? Are we like Christians or something? I mean, I know sometimes we get together and we do everything but stuff that's got some spiritual zeal in it. Break that habit this summer. Right? Just say, hey guys, when we get together next week, could we just take 30 minutes, 40 minutes? And we've got a little format for you you can use. But that's what we want to do this summer. Normalize prayer and invigorate your 
prayer lives. So let's start this morning with the question of, does everyone need a prayer closet? Does everybody need a prayer closet? Well, the person that we're going to have as our first hero would likely be the person you'd be least convinced really, really needs a prayer closet. But yet he's the one who teaches us about prayer closets. Let me start in a different place than where I'm going to land. Acts chapter 6 is an interesting moment in the history of the church. This is the church... Not too long after Pentecost, as we visited last week uh, on the subject of Pentecost, breaks out in Jerusalem. So in the first century, the church is just getting started. Good things are happening. The Spirit of God has come and people are getting saved from all walks of life. And they're coming together. They're identifying with the church. So week after week, meetings are just being packed with people that God is renovating their lives. And all kinds of opportunities are there. And here's where we pick it up. In chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Let's pray together. Father, we are eager and in need of discovering this rich treasure of a gift that you have given us to have access to your presence through something that you call the prayer closet. So Lord, our desire this summer is to renovate existing prayer closets, to build where none has existed But Lord, to find ourselves occupied and eager to be in that place with you, enjoying your presence and engaging your kingdom for your glory. Lord, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me me point something out here in this this passage. Let me aim this. This is a great passage for pastors and leaders in the body of Christ. Uh, Can I I pick up a little piece of it, though, and, and hand it to fathers that are here with us? Right, uh, fathers share something. I, I'm not one of those guys who thinks fathers are prophets, priests, and kings. I think prophets are prophets, and priests are priests, and kings are kings. I think fathers are fathers. Uh, so I, I don't teach that. If you've been around that that kind of teaching, um, but fathers have a responsibility for people in a way in which leaders in the body of Christ have a responsibility for people, and there is some significant overlap in that. You know, as a father, the ultimate destination that we're trying to help our families to reach is God himself. That at the end of time, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna go somewhere. When, when we've departed and their lives have finished, they're going somewhere forever. And if we've not aimed them at the God of the universe, the eternal God, then we have failed to aim that at anything significant. They might be the smartest people with a Harvard degree and lots of money in their pocket. But a father has a responsibility spiritually 
to direct and lead his family. And so there's a great overlap here because in this passage, suddenly the apostles who, who had this simple life just a few chapters earlier, and you got these apostles and leaders who were following Jesus and Jesus would create the agenda of life. Wherever he went, stuff happened and they were there like, wow, check this out. And all of a sudden Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And you're going to receive power. And, and he's gone. And next thing you know, there's no one on the scene taking them to settings so that they can know what to do next. They're the movers and shakers now. They're the ones leading others into these places of the kingdom where stuff is going to happen and stuff is going to happen. And sure enough, here we are. This church, which just a few chapters earlier is a small gathering, 100 plus in an upper room, is now probably 10,000 people. An explosion has happened. God has been on the move. And they've got to figure out what to do. And there's a great lesson here. Great needs come into our lives, not just when things are dark and difficult, but great strategic spiritual needs come into our lives when things are going really well. And at the time where it's easiest to forget God, we're cruising, right? We're not desperate. We're not gasping for air. We're, we're just, man, everything's going great. We feel good. Life feels good. Well, in this moment... They're increasing disciples, they're reaching people, all kinds of people. People that were opposed to the gospel are coming to know Christ. they got to be feeling like God is with us. This stuff is going right, man. Jesus said this would happen. This is amazing. But in that moment, they needed a spiritual strategy in that hour. And amongst all the things that were clamoring for their attention, and there was a lot beginning to clamor for their attention, a lot of needs were calling out to them. They recognized two things that they cannot compromise. The study of God's word and prayer. Those two things they knew, we've got to set up some way of guarding this. This cannot get lost amidst a thousand good things that are out there. Now listen, every pastor, every leader in the body of Christ needs to be sobered by that reality. So many good things and so many opportunities can be happening that you can begin to neglect the thing that you can never afford to neglect. But let let me call on dads here in the same category. Right, there, there comes a moment in your life, you know, when you're a single guy, life's got a certain set of simplicity to it, and then you get married, and, and the simplicity begins to go away. Life begins to get more complicated, and things begin to get added, you begin to own more stuff, and you're more responsible, and then you start having children. And those children, and more children, and then children in different seasons of life with children with special needs and different needs occur. And suddenly, you've got all this responsibility and activity. How many of you guys have figured out that when you add children, you add activity to your life? And then none of them come with time, right? None of them, you know, it's like they don't get birth and just like hand you an extra hour. Here, here's an extra hour, mom, dad, you're going to need it for me. And the next one comes, you know, we'd all have much more hours in the day. You don't get any of that. So life gets complicated and there's more stuff to do. Next thing you know, you can be losing perhaps some of the most essential things about who you are as a person, as a father, as a man, as a child of God. So if I were to ask you, has, has the pace of life and the activity of your life jettisoned 
the word of God and prayer. That you're here this morning and your prayer closet uh, looks like some dilapidated outhouse that nobody's been in it for as long as you can remember. And you got a lot of other stuff going on. You're chasing a lot of things that, that certainly have value. Realize these guys weren't trying to figure out whether to stop smoking dope or pray. Right? Don't you wish your life was still made up of that kind of stuff? Just, oh man, do I, do I stop this blatant sin activity and do something righteous? No, these guys are having to choose between good things. Do we serve these people in the kingdom of God this way? Or do we give our time and attention to this over here? You may have to take a good thing in your life and say no to it in order for you to invigorate the word of God and prayer in your life. But there's a dimension to your leadership in your household that if you subtract the word of God and prayer from it, I can almost promise you you're leading everybody in the wrong direction. And even if you're a person who manages to drag your kids to church... As you'll see today, that prayer closet does something to you. It, it has an impact on who you are and the qualities of who you are. If you subtract that from your life, you're, you're just a guy with a book who shows up at meetings. And you get around God a little bit, but I can almost promise you, without a prayer closet, the transformative impact of this book is minimalized by everything else you're doing. There is no substitute for your prayer closet. There's no preacher who can substitute for it. There's no small group in your life that can substitute for it. There's no mentor who can substitute for it. Your prayer closet is meant to be a unique place between you and your God where you meet. And there's nothing else that can take its place. These guys recognized they needed that. Came across this thought from Andrew Bonner who was a Scottish pastor in the 1800s. His language will give him away that he... He ain't from around here. Um, wordy, but he, these words are outstanding, right? We could just stop right here. Listen, listen carefully what he says. This is a guy writing in the 1800s. <laughs> One of the gravest perils which besets the ministry is a restless scattering of energies over an amazing multiplicity of interests. Right? That's, a, that's an interesting phrase, right? Can you just meditate on those phrases? A restless scattering of energies over an amazing multiplicity of interests. You feel those words? I feel those words today. Just energy, just getting scattered into so many categories. So many people, so much activity, so much on the calendar, so much coming up, so much to prepare for. ah, This life just feels like it is just so overstuffed and so many interests. We've got more hobbies and interests and categories that we're trying to keep up with, stay in the know about. So I'm thinking, oh, Mr. Bonner, you don't know anything about what you just wrote. You live in the 1800s, dude. You are clueless about what you just said. Can you imagine the pace of life in the 1800s? Wouldn't, wouldn't you kind of welcome that sometime? No, no email. Heck, no mail. <laughs> Cliff, did they even have a post office back then? I mean, I don't even know. But this is a danger for us. But then watch what he says here. He says, this leaves 
no, look at these words, margin, time, and strength for receptive and absorbing communion with God. Oh, those are really good words, right? We, we are left with a life that has no margin, time, or strength left in it. Right? We all get that. We, I got no time. We all get that, right? But you know what it is to have no margin? Right? Remember when you were younger and you, had, you wrote on a page and it had margins? And you had to stay within the margin? Well, when you were done writing everything you had to write down, there was this white space on the edge of the page, wasn't there? It was called margin. And so you had room left over after you had done your writing. Right, life used to have margin in it. When you had done everything, you had a little space left over. Now we write up right to the edges and we finish on the other side, right off the end of the page and start on the other side. And when you're done staring at your page, there's no space left for anything else. So everything upsets our apple cart. Right? Anybody gets sick. And a special bill comes along. Uh, another meeting gets scheduled. And it's like, we've got no place to put anything. We're just spoken for 24-7 all the time. That's marginless. It's a life without margin. But what ends up happening when the, and that happens is we, we've got no strength left for things. That's what he says. I, I don't have strength to engage things. I don't have strength to give my mental processes and my thoughts and my activity I'm done. I'm just, I'm just worn out. I've just run out of gas, right? So this is the world that we live in. I think Mr. Bonner was speaking prophetically because there's no way his life feels like our life does. But I know what it is to feel like I'm, I just don't have strength for that. I just, I just can't take on another thing. Some critical need. I, I can't even think about that. I just, I've just thought about four other critical things on my way to that. I just, I'm just run out. And this is what he says this ends up creating. A problem with being receptive and absorbing communion with God. I, I love those two words. Receptive and absorbing. All right, so just stop with me just for a moment. You have come this morning to hear God's word, to hopefully to receive it. How many guys recognize you can come to this meeting and not receive anything? Right? I mean, come on. You're not going to insult me if you say, yeah, Keith, a lot of Sundays. I come and I walk out here and I couldn't tell you what the whole meeting was about. Right? Um, All right, well, I I try to take as much responsibility as possible as the, the person in the pulpit who's interfering with that but there can be a lot of reasons in me why I can pick something up and read it where I can attend a meeting where I can get around God and I walk away and I have received nothing I was there kind of interacted with it but did I receive anything this this might be the first break you've gotten all week to sit down and not have an agenda so in some ways, your mind is just enjoying, hey, dude, don't, don't get too heavy on me here. I'm kind of like in neutral right now. It's the first chance I've had to just kind of park things and sit in one spot and not be doing something. Um, okay, but you're here to receive something. You're here to listen carefully to receive something. I got that. I got that. I may not hear anything else you say, but I got that. And when I leave here today, I got that. Now, the next question is his next word. Will that which you got, get absorbed into you. 
How many guys know there's a difference between touching something and something getting absorbed in you? God intends to impart things into our lives that we receive and they get absorbed into us. They, They become part of our DNA. And that's hard ground to get today. We are in a tough spot for these things to get realized. All right, two facts in your outline. Fact number one, to pray well will require addressing our restlessness and reducing our many interests. You sure you're game for this? This is a nice series in the summer that you can just totally decide, I'm going to sit this one out. And this will be why. Right? We're going to have to address our restlessness, our interest in just being involved in everything and doing everything under the sun, never having a dull moment. Don't ever slow down. Just keep it, keep it, keep it. Just when, I, when I get a dull moment, let me pull out my device. Let me catch up. Let me figure out who posted what. Let me, let me just stay always interested in something. There's something new out there to do. Many interests, new hobbies, etc. Fact number two, the skimming thumbing Google approach to interaction is one of the greatest weapons deployed against meaningful prayer. If nothing gets absorbed, you won't be back. You want to know why you don't spend time in your prayer closet? Because you don't get anything out of it. If you climb in that prayer closet and you tasted God you'd be back. It's when you climb in and you don't. And you got to figure out why is it that I don't? Well, it could be because of the way you've built your prayer closet. could be because it's too infrequent. You haven't developed an ability to hear and experience the nearness of God. And so you, you know, you hear messages like this and you get a, you know, two day spurt and you try it twice and, uh, nothing. And, and you live the rest of your Christian life without a prayer closet. But, but that just can't work. D. Martin Lowe-Jones says this. The thing that keeps one going in the Christian life is prayer. Communion and fellowship with God. It is something which is absolutely essential. I, I would go further and say that the Christian life is really impossible without it. Because prayer is communion with God, our prayer life reflects the quality of our communion with him. Lloyd-Jones sees prayer as, quote, the greatest indicator of one's spiritual health and, quote, the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a guy who knew a little bit about studying. He knew a little bit about academics. God would sit down to write a commentary on Romans or Ephesians and if you pick it up it'll be a long time before you're done reading it multi-volumes on things that he just would study and publish but but you can be studying and publishing and creating all kinds of activity if you are not engaging God in the communion that takes place in your prayer closet there's something missing about all that you're experiencing and understanding. There's something about that shared space with God that is unique and nothing else can replace it. Now, let me just highlight two things that, that are hidden in that Acts chapter 6 situation. If these apostles and these leaders in the body of Christ are going to actually pull this off, two things are going to happen. They're going to have to separate themselves and they're going to have to diminish something in their life. 
up until that moment, these guys are running in the crowd. They're involved in all kinds of activity. And I imagine the, you know, the apostles and the early leaders were just like us. There were some of them that were really people, people, and just loved being around people 24-7. And there were some who probably weren't that way. But for the ones who love to be in the know, in the activity, I'm at every event, I'm around everything that's going on, there's not a thing happening in Jerusalem or in the church in Jerusalem that I'm not a part of or informed of, that guy, that leader, that apostle, for him to build a prayer closet, he's going to have to separate himself from some of those things. You used to be a part of all that. You're not anymore. He's going to have to diminish some things in his life. You cannot have the exact same level of activity and level of people in your life and build a prayer closet. That prayer closet takes real estate. And when you go to put it in place in your life, you're going to have to kick some things out. Or it'll never happen. This is where these messages fall apart. Because we won't do the work of separating and diminishing. We just want to add stuff. We're these foolish modern generation people who think we can just infinitely keep adding things. I just add more. Oh, I'll do that too. Oh, I need that app. Let me add that. Let's do this. Let's add that to the calendar. And we, as though we're God, as though we're infinite creatures, we just keep adding. You cannot add without subtracting. So if you want to know why you've heard messages in this category and read a book on prayer and it's never taken off, you may never have done the hard work of separating and diminishing things in your life. It's going to cost you something to actually get around God in a prayer closet. Really interesting book Mark Jones has written on the prayers of Jesus. He says, Jews began their day with prayer. The first order of business of dependent, faithful believers in the true and living God. Many Christians today are more likely to check their phones at the first priority. Instead of communing with God, we naturally prefer to commune with other humans, some of whom we do not even know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, ooh, that's, that's a rather uncomfortable thought, isn't it? That there's the infinite God of the universe who has welcomed me into his presence, who is my father, who delights in time with me. And I'm curious about people I don't even know. And then at the end of the week I go, yeah, I've been meaning to get with God, but really you you just wanted to eavesdrop on strangers instead? This is where we're going with our time. There's a preciousness to time with God, but it's going to cost you. I'm not sure if I'm going to share this thought, but I'm not sure if this is encouraging or not. Um, cause it's still a work in progress for me. Uh, I, you know, over the last few years, you know, I've added and added a variety of things in life and responsibilities. And so I'm, I'm feeling this Acts chapter six dimension in my own world and, and feeling that I, I have to create some, some sacred real estate for the word of God in prayer in my own life. And I, and I felt that way for many years and have fought to try and create that, um, so last year, I remember Gina and I had gone away, I took a couple of books with me to study and, and look at some of these dimensions. Uh, one guy who wrote a book called Deep Work uh, was very helpful. He's not a believer, but very helpful about focus and, and human ability to give attention to things and how much our emails and texts and connecting with people disrupts our ability to stay on task for a length of time. So his whole book was about that. He suggested at one point... Uh, if you're, if you're a, a thinker, a knowledge worker kind of a person, that you should have 
in your daily routine three to four hours where you're doing one thing just for that whole time, three or four hours of just doing one thing. So for me, that bore witness quickly because that, that, that's a study, prayer, and preaching dimension is, is just sitting with God and sitting with the word for extended periods of time. So I decided I'm going to take my most alert moment in the day because as I get older, that, that's not equally true anymore. It used to be true 24 hours, but not anymore. Um, so I decided in the mornings, I'm, I'm going to take this four-hour window and, and it's just going to be about me interacting with God, study, prayer, interaction with God. Which has worked incredibly well for that. It's been wonderful just to focus in on that. So I, I shut off emails, I shut off texts, uh, try to avoid any temptation to look at them. Uh, knowing that there's probably some stuff flying around that I need to be responding to or interacting with. But I've just decided this is holy ground and, and, and nothing else gets this piece of real estate uh, in my day but this. Now, this is the part where I'm, I hesitate to share this with you. Because <laughs> what that's made me do is it's, it's made me take away from my world three to four hours almost every day uh, where emails pile up, texts pile up. And so some of you right now are figuring out, that's why he doesn't get back with me. Um, So then by the time the afternoon comes, your email that came in the morning or overnight has been crowded out by two dozen other ones. And it's it's made my afternoons a little bit miserable, to be honest with you, because I, I, I can't keep up with a smaller day to interact with the people dimensions. But thus is the reality of our lives. I'm not an infinite creature and you aren't either. If you're going to create space where you and God are going to meet, you're going to take it from somewhere else. And so you're going to relocate a little bit of chaos when you do this. And if you can't live with that, you'll stop doing it really quickly. But I hope we all can live with it. All right, so let me answer the question, does everybody need a prayer closet? Jim Cimbala is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I, I deeply respect the love of prayer that that church has. I've been to a prayer meeting that they hold in their, in their uh, building weekly. It is a, an encounter with God and with others who are seeking God together. He wrote a book a number of years ago called Spirit Rising. He says this. He says, it was just about dawn on a chilly day in Palestine about 2,000 years ago. Jesus' disciples were sound asleep, exhausted after the previous day's activities, handling the huge crowds that had thronged them, encouraging listeners to believe the master's words, even trying their hand at praying for a few of the sick and brokenhearted. But while they enjoyed their needed rest, someone else was stirring. Although the sun had not yet risen, Jesus got up and walked out of the village where they were all staying. He was headed to a deserted place nearby to pray. What an awesome scene. It was repeated many times during the three years the disciples stayed with Jesus. The son of the living God couldn't face the day without prayer. So I'm going to start our series on heroes of the prayer closet With the one person, the son of the living God, who you'd think if anybody could skip prayer, he could get away with it, right? I mean, come on. You're the son of God, for goodness sake. So what are you missing on the day that, oh, 
just, it was a long night last night. Let me, let me sleep in a little bit here. But there was something about this meeting with God that was second to none. And I don't think it felt like, oh, you go punch the clock. I think the father will be ticked off if I don't. <clears throat> here. Uh, I don't think Jesus approached prayer that way. So there was something in his interaction with God that we, we want to get a hold of. Because it drew him back, even to the place where, exhausted, he didn't want to miss an opportunity to be there. All right, look at these verses real quickly. I'm going to race through these. Now listen, by the way, there's a lot of stuff here for you to use and build in your prayer closet, right? So there's, there's things to meditate on here. I'll just give you an example from this one passage. But take all these passages. I'm going to race through a bunch of them today. But they're just intended for you to take with you into your prayer closet this week and draw from God in them. Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Alright, so Jesus introduces this idea that there's this thing for every Christian called a prayer closet. This, that word for inner room, it's a chamber or a closet type of space in your life. So Jesus is going to introduce something. These are things to meditate on. What's a closet going to look like for you? Jesus says you need one. And then he says that there's something happening in a secret place, right? So there's something in your life that Jesus says should be called a secret place. And the father hears in secret, right? Some of us just think, you know, God's in the meeting here, right? We're all going to meet together today and God's going to be with us. God's going to be manifest here. But did you know the Bible highlights as well that there is a meeting with God that happens in a secret way, in a secret place? It's secret because it's just you and him. It's a moment of just blatant, open, vulnerable honesty. It's secret, There's no pretense here. You don't have to keep up a view that anybody else is listening in. You know, you go to a prayer meeting. Let me pray a certain way. Let me not pray a certain way. Let me pray about certain things and not pray for goodness sake about other things. You don't do that in your prayer closet. In your prayer closet, you come in spiritually naked. And just every bit of it's just wide open to God. And you're just with him. And he's listening in that secret place. Right, so just the guarantee, the promise, right? If you meditate on this, just one verse. The promise that God is listening in your secret place. I mean, do you ever go pray and you feel like God's not there? God's not, he's not hearing anything. This doesn't matter. Okay, this Bible verse dumps that on its head. He is meeting you in the secret place. And he is re- planning to reward you in what he hears. How many of us have forgotten that, that there's a reward coming from God as we interact with him? God said that. He installed this idea. We're not twisting his arm. So for you to climb into your prayer closet with a sense that God is going to meet me here in this secret place. And somehow he is going to reward me as well. That's a little inspirational, right? And that's how Jesus uses it. He's trying to get them into their prayer closet by saying this. Now, Jesus lived this. He didn't just teach it. He lived it. Mark chapter 1 verse 32 now, I want you to hear the context of Jesus' prayer life. So I've given you a little bit more than just these images of him going off to pray. It says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all 
who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Okay, it's already sundown. I'm sure he's thanking the disciples. Thank you guys for your timely bringing of the entire city to me at sundown. (laughs) This is going to be a long night. (laughs) And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. To a desolate place. To a place separated. Right? This is, if, you don't, if you're not willing to do separation, you're not going to do a prayer closet well. Matthew 14 tells another incident. It says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. What Jesus said to them, all right, remember, it's evening already. These guys love to do things late. Must be teenagers. He must have had teenagers for disciples. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. All right, you guys know the story here, right? There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. How long do you think in the evening it took for them to feed five thousand people right so this this is a late night right immediately he made the disciples go into the boat go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away after he had sent the crowds away he went up on the mountain by himself to pray and and when it was evening he was there alone alone in secret there, there's, there's a piece of your Christian life that is characterized by that. Everything we do as Christians is not a group effort. This is, this is where responsibility will fly back to you. Because listen, we live in a world that wants to blame everybody for why my life isn't the way it should be. Somebody in my sphere of influence has messed things up. But can I tell you, you can get with God and God can impart things to you that no one else knew to tell you, remembered to tell you, should have told you, could have corrected you, might have inspired you, could have passed something on to you. There's a God who is your father who will meet with you in the secret place and who will impart things to you that will make you excuseless. So that you'll stop blaming everybody else in your life. You want to you blame somebody? Blame yourself you have a God with infinite supplies who will speak things into your soul that nobody else even knows to say right there's some of you here your life is so complicated and and it's so hard for you to figure it out and you're mad at everybody because they haven't figured it out for you and I just want to put in front of you today you've been in your prayer closet in the secret place with the living God where he could say something to you about that He could reveal the thoughts and the insides of your guts to you. So stop blaming everybody else. You have the greatest audience available to you of the God who will never, ever fail you. Luke chapter 5 verse 15 says, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But, 
I find it interesting that you go from verse 15 to verse 16, and the word that Luke installs right there is the word but. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. But there's all this stuff. There were crowds, there were needs, there were lines of people that needed a touch from Jesus. But he would put them all off. And he would go off and be with his father alone. See, life, life for us, it needs, it needs a public dimension, it needs a private dimension. A public dimension and a private dimension. And, and depending on who you are, you probably need to be kicked in the behind in one or the other. Right? Some people love to be private too much. Some people love to be public too much, but there is, there is both. Your Christian life is both. Listen, I know, I, I know, you know, we, a lot of what we do is a together thing. It's, it's us being together. It's creating meetings for us to be together. There are people who learn the only prompting that they learn to respond to is the voice of their small group leader or their men's group leader or somebody else talking to you, raising a question, asking you a probing question, holding you accountable. Hey, I love all that. I love all that. But did you know the Holy Spirit's job is to do that first? The Spirit is sent into the world to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So by the time God's got to make somebody else say that to you, you might want to sober up and think, do I ever listen to God personally? He keeps sending people and they're saying great stuff. So grateful for the people in my life. Hey, yeah, let's thank God for the people in our lives. But do we ever hear anything from him personally? Jesus is getting around the Father. He's got a public dimension to his life, but he's got a private dimension in his life. Mark Jones, great point. He says, Jesus lived neither as a reclusive hermit nor as a maniacal social butterfly. He manifested himself as both a highly visible public and and a behind-the-scenes private man. As is often the case, listen, public faithfulness or failure remains directly proportional to the faithfulness or failure in private. His public ministry before God depended intimately on his private communion with him. One without the other would have proved fatal. Listen, that's true of the Son of God. It's true of me. And every one of us, there is a private dimension of my life that things happen in that prayer closet that get exported fathers into us being fathers, into us being husbands, into us at our job, into us in our church, into answering particular calls that God has in our life. It is coming to us by the Spirit in communion with the Father. I've got to have that. I just can't be living a public life. I need to have a private dimension as well. One more thought from Mark Jones. He says, Did Jesus, who is of the same essence with God, pray basically as an example for those who observed him? Or did Jesus, who is also of the same essence with man, possessing body and soul, pray because he needed to pray for his own sake as well as ours? If the latter, which I believe is the case, what does it mean for us to say he needed to pray? His prayers were at the heart of his obedient and dependent life before the Father. 
In the face of temptation and trial, Jesus sought God, believing that God could and would help him in his time of need. We do a disservice to Jesus' prayer life if we just have him going through the motions in public for the sake of us. Oh, he did it. I guess we should do it. There was something happening. There was a vitality. There was an exchange between he and the Father that mattered to everything you see Jesus doing. Right? All right. I'm going to point you to this, and I'm going to give you whiplash as I help you stare at it. On the back, I think, that last section. Do we have, do we have these... Uh, Ronald, do we have these scripture passages? Like, in the, all right, all right, hold, hold on, strap in, because I'm just, I just want you to see something here, right? For Jesus, the prayer closet, right? It's the end of the day. He's exhausted. He's been with people. He's been answering questions. He's been telling demons to shut up. He's been healing people. Power has been going out of his life into people's lives. So it's the end of the day, and it's, it's time to pray. And, and unlike me, who would be giving myself permission, that I, I'm tired. I've been serving God all day. I just came from a meeting. We, we had a long meeting. Oh, I don't know if I have time to pray tonight. Jesus, there was something in that prayer closet that made him say, I want to be there more than I want to sleep. I, he wanted to be there. Right, so I'm going to give you just, you know, just as I meditated on Jesus' prayer life, these are some headlines. This is what I think Jesus was getting, if you will, from his prayer closet. Right, now I'll highlight a couple of them along the way, but you go back and look at these and let them be part of what you do. Right? Uh, Jesus was getting sustaining strength and vitality in his life. Right? John 4, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I'm being sustained by something that you don't quite get. Right? Remember, he told the guys this in Matthew 4. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where did Jesus get the sustaining in all that was being demanded of him? He had food to eat. He had sustenance and nourishment that came from the words that God gave to him as he prayed. He had communion. Jesus experienced communion with God, right? John 8 verse 28. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, right? You'll see the other verses there that highlight some of that. But, but isn't there a moment in your life when, when you're going through and doing life that you need a sense of the communion of God with you? You, you need an awareness that he is with me. He has is, he is not left me alone. You need to get in a prayer closet sometimes when life feels like everything's going wrong. God must be on vacation, And get in the prayer closet and have the living God communicate to you. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right here with you in this. And to almost feel him take your hand. Listen, you can come in for counsel and we can tell you that God's available. Can I just tell you there's a difference between having another human being tell you that? And you being in the secret place and the Father telling you that by the Spirit. If you don't know what I just described, who... You're living something else besides the Christian life. Do you understand the Christian life was never intended to be a bunch of human beings playing substitute for God? Now listen, I'm the guy who's going to be preaching on fellowship at some point. That's a hill to die on for us that we need to be together. Not in exchange or in the place of being with God. 
There are some things the Father has to say to you that you have to hear him say it to you. And it won't be enough for somebody else you love or respect to tell you what God has said to them that applies to you. That, that, that's better than nothing, but it's not ultimate. Guidance. How many of us need guidance in our lives? Did you, did you ever stop and think Jesus needed guidance? We don't think that, do we? Jesus, he knew everything. Well, look at Luke chapter 6. You find this story. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. That's not unusual. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. How many do you know? He had a crowd of guys following him. How do you know which of them? No, not you. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Flipping coins? How do you you come up with that? He spent time with his father. And his father revealed to him, guided him into decisions that he needed to make. Life, ministry, and content. This is how Jesus, this is what Jesus' program came from. John 5 verse 19. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, notice the present tense of this. These things the the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. Present tense reality. This is not Jesus saying, you know, I I read Isaiah. I know what Isaiah said about me. And I'm making sure that I do the things that were prophesied about me. I do what I see currently. I see the father doing things. I do them. That's how I know what to do next. I see. And the Father shows me. This is what's going on in Jesus' prayer closet. This is some pretty important stuff. About preparation for temptation. Your prayer closet is the key weapon, if I can say it this way, to how you're going to face temptation when temptation comes. And So, therefore, if you don't have one, this is the only time you'll hear me use these words from the pulpit. Good luck. that's about all you got right there's something that you get from God in the prayer closet that enables you to face temptation right Jesus said that himself Matthew 26 41 watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak oh do you know the context in which he is saying that do you remember what's going on in Matthew chapter 26 Right in this context, the Son of God himself is going to turn to the Father and say, Father, if it's possible, could you let this cup pass from me? That's temptation. There was something about the enormity and the weight and the scale of what he was about to go through that makes him pause and stare at it and go, is is there another way to do this? What is it that rescues Jesus in that moment? It's his prayer closet. It's his exchange with God where he's able to turn to this circumstance and say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. So there is is activity that takes place in us in our times of prayer that are going to mean everything in the moment that temptation stares us in the face. When you, when you go read, and there's some passages here you can go read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus spends 
40 days in the wilderness, fasting, he's with God, he's communing with God, and in the end, the devil comes to tempt him, to make a deal, to short-circuit your way to the throne. I'll get you to the throne faster. This out of the way is a long way to do it. It's a lot of pain involved. You don't need to go that way, Jesus. You go this way. Here's a shortcut. I'll give it all to you. You just got to do this, right? Temptation is coming. And in that moment, the Son of God doesn't bargain away our future. Like some have bargained away the future of others in their lives, right? Men here, fathers here. There are, there are people following you. You are living a life that's vulnerable. You are going to face temptations in your life that are going to put people in the ditch. And you know what's going to make the difference in that moment? It's going to be the influence of God on your soul that came as you communed with him. So that in that moment, the devil can come to you and you can say, be gone, Satan. I want nothing to do with what you're offering me. Where'd that come from? Well, it came from 40 days with God. And you can read through the rest of those things there. I, I, I love this quote from this old classic preacher, John Jowett. He says, well, now, it's, it's in the field of prayer that life's critical battles are lost or won. In prayer, we bring our spiritual enemies into the presence of God and we fight them there. Have you tried that? Or have you been satisfied to meet and fight your foes in the open spaces of the world? If I'm like Bunyan's pilgrim and encounter Apollyon on the exposed road and begin my warfare there, I shall be sadly beaten. And he will leave me bruised and broken by the way. See, Jesus overcame and overthrew temptation because he had already fought that battle in the prayer closet. And the outcome had already been arrived at in that space. So when temptation comes, he responds out of that power. All right, one last thought here. Prayer, this last part of your outline there, prayer is an essential transformative exchange for which there is no substitute. There's an exchange between us and God in our prayer closet. There's nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. And without it, we are incomplete Christians. We, we just can't live the life God's called us to. You remember this verse? I didn't get to unpack it a whole lot when we were in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. It says, if anyone imagines that he knows anything... He does not yet know as he ought. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Right? This, is, this is an awareness that there is something more than just knowing stuff. There is a need for interaction with God that involves a love for God. A heartfelt desire and longing for him and a naked, vulnerable being known by God in the secret place. God knows every inch of you. You're honest about yourself. You know things about yourself because you have stood honestly before the presence of God. You know, listen, one of the reasons why people can never come and fix us sometimes is because they're the ones having to break the news to us about who we really are. What's broken in us? What's difficult about us? What, what sin sticks out and every time you walk past, you get sliced by it on the way by? But we all run around, well, I'm a Christian though. I'm a Christian. Oh, something about forgiveness. And, uh. Well, you don't yet know as you ought to know. 
Because if you don't mix what you know with the presence of God and intimacy with him, you don't yet know as you ought to know. Right? Sometimes you've got to add stuff to things for it to become what it's supposed to be. Right? My wife did an incredible cakes that I'm going to be eating today on Father's Day. At some point, I walked through the kitchen yesterday and it was just cake batter in the bottom of pans. It wasn't yet what it ought to be. All the ingredients were there. She wasn't going to add anything more except one thing. She was going to stick it in an oven for a specific amount of time. And what was going to come out of the other side of that was going to be cake. You weren't yet what you ought to be and what you're going to be. Right? There's, there's little ingredients in us. right? I mean, there's a difference between grape juice and wine. Something happens in between. You, you put it in a barrel... You let it age at certain conditions and a process happens and fermentation happens and and what was once grape juice is now wine. Something happens, right? There's, There's stuff that comes to us in the Christian life. There's this knowledge that comes to us. We climb into our prayer closet. It's like an oven that bakes something up and now we've become what it is that God had intended for us to become. But if you, if you miss that, you know, it's a lot of just cake bladder running all over the floor of churches everywhere. Like, well, technically, yeah, we're cake. Technically. Same ingredients are present. But you don't look like cake and you don't taste like cake. You, you look kind of runny. <laughs> I think that's the story of a lot of Christians. Because there's no oven. There's no prayer closet. There's nothing that transforms this. Right, look at these two quick verses and we're going to pray in just a second. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But there's a lot of Christians who have no idea what's going on in their hearts. Isn't that true? Husbands and wives arguing about stuff you can't convince each other about. Conflicts in relationships that aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. Right? There's just some people who aren't getting this. Right? Because Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 is sitting in a pan that needs to go into an oven. And when it does, that word's going to come alive. And it's going to find its way into your soul. And it's going to divide things. And it's going to show you that's not why you did that. You want everybody to think that's why you did that, but that's not why you did that. You had another motive. Or this is why you're so difficult in that category. Because you have a massive fear over here. You know, the Holy Spirit can show you these things by the word, right? Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings, They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. This this is a psalm about the nearness of God. Right? It's in the shadow of God's wings. It's in God's light. It's when I get in God's light, I begin to see light. I begin to see things about my life, about myself. 
If, if you turn that light down and I hand you a Bible, read, 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 and that's all you ever do and you don't get in your prayer closet with God, I promise you, these things will remain at a distance from your life. You will not know yourself well and you will know yourself to the degree that other people have had to tell you about you. That's a bad thing to have to happen, isn't it? be a better thing for you to get in your prayer closet and let God show you. Why do I do that? Why do I not do that? Why do I avoid that at all costs? And to get around God and in his light to, to see light in our lives. Listen, the alternative to no prayer closet is a life that never grows up, right? It's kind of a Peter Pan Christian existence. Sinclair Ferguson's written an excellent book called Maturity. This last thought. Eric, you can come back up. He says, our world is fast-paced, consumer-centered, image-focused, media-dominated, and has become accustomed to immediate responses. It does not encourage the slow-burning disciplines that produce character. A pathetic sameness and unoriginality emerges as we are swept downstream in the flow of society's priorities. Surrounded by these pressures, many people, especially young people, find it difficult to resist. No, it is not easy to devote ourselves to the countercultural gospel influences that will pay long-term spiritual dividends. But if we are going to be mature Christians, we must not allow ourselves to be dominated by hunger pains for immediate gratification. In that sense, we must resist the pressures of the age to squeeze us into its mold. Listen, you're going to leave here today and the whisk of life and the pace of things are going to suck you in again this week. And they'll do it all summer long. But if you leave with a conviction and God has awakened something in your heart that says, I, I, want, to build a, I want to build a prayer closet this summer. That's what I want to do. I, I want to have this kind of exchange going on in my life with God. Um, today, would, would we pray for God to give us the grace to separate us and diminish some things in our lives? To be able to do what's maybe hard for us to do, but what is so critical for us to do. But, but there's, there's nothing that can take the place of the secret place between you and your father. Nothing can do it. And, and if we've lost that along the way, maturity isn't happening in our lives. And God wants it to. So this summer, is your invitation, this summer, it's not a one message. Not just today. You're going to get to hear about this for several more weeks. And you'll get to benefit from it. Climb into your prayer closet. Start construction. Interact with God. Experience some things. Add to it. Experience some more. Add to it as the summer unfolds. So that when we get to the other side of this... Um, we're a church with a bunch of prayer closets in our midst. All right, I'm going to pray for the fathers in one second, but I, I failed to mention something. This Wednesday night, uh, we're going to start the summer and this venture together with a meal, potluck meal. So bring something with you to eat. And if you've been a part of these meals, people brought some great stuff. They've been great times of fellowship. So we'll eat the meal at, what time did we say? Somebody who knows, 6.30? 6.30 is in there. All right, so 6.30 is the meal. And then right after the meal, we're going to come in here together. And we're going we're gonna to pray because this is a hill to die on. And if it's a hard hill for you, it's a hard hill for all of us. But what if we waited on God together? 
What if we came together and we asked God, God, make this summer like no other summer. Make this category of our lives to catch traction like it's never done before. And God meets us beginning this Wednesday night and sends us into the summer to revolutionize what we call prayer life. Right, well, that's what we're doing Wednesday night. One other announcement I failed to make. Next Sunday morning, this is related in some ways, but it's a little separate as well. During the School of the Word, from 8.45 to 9.45, uh, we're going to have a teaching time on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that twice in the summer, and we're going to give out a bunch of resources. The aim of this is to primarily equip our covenant group leaders and our prayer team members. Uh, but we want to invite everybody who wants to come into this setting. So we're going to aim it at those guys. But we want everybody who has ever said this. I want to see more of the spirit in our midst. If you've ever said that, thought about it, prayed it, or asked one of the pastors, then please come join us because we want to see that too. And so we want to invigorate that aspect of ministry. Next Sunday morning, 8.45 to 9.45. We'll give you some great resources and links you can look at that are going to be helpful for you next week. Uh, but that's next week. All right, this morning, I want, to, I want us to pray for our fathers this morning in this category. I'm trying to make sure that we don't, we don't hear this as great, great. I'm a father who's about to be loaded with an obligation. <laughs> this is a great gift, Keith. Uh, would y'all rather the flowers we give to the women, really? Okay, man up, man up, will you? Um, Jesus was having an adventure in his prayer closet. Right? When the disciples watched Jesus pray, remember they pulled him aside when he he was was probably on his way or coming back from being with God. And they said, teach us to pray. They wanted what he had. Because what he had was precious and meaningful and impacting and rich. So as we pray for you men this morning... Um, we, we can't think of a better gift than to pray for the gift and the favor of God on your prayer closet. That you will have a space and a meeting point with God. That's like nothing else you experience in your life. And not only is that a gift to anticipate what God wants to be to you, but I, I think it's also one that could rescue some of us from regret. That there's something about the burden that you carry that, right, your, your children's needs are going to go, they're going to outpace you. They're going to be bigger than you. There's going to be seasons in their lives that you can't keep up with. You can't answer that. You can't fix that. You'll wonder whether something in the past caused that. Did you contribute to that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's something about taking the responsibilities of your life on a daily basis and giving them back to God the way in which you were intended to. That that helps. I won't say it eliminates all forms of regret, but it sure helps in that regard because you're going to have the reminder in your own soul that, that I, God, I live my life like you, like this before you. Everything that was precious to me, I, I held before you for your hand and your favor and your benefit and your blessing and your protection. And having done that now, and I'm watching this circumstance, God, I I am living in the sovereign purposes of God. And and there's a sense of peace that comes when you've lived your life that way with God. So, Father, we want to pray for you today.
in those categories. So if you're a father here this morning, could you stand up right where you are? If those who are nearby can can just extend a hand, pray for these guys. And guys, can you remember something here? Last week was about Pentecost. Did you know that God could suddenly impart something to you this morning? Sudden light come into an area of your life. You could have a vision right now, right here. You could have a revelation from God about something really significant in your life and your heart. You could have a sense of courage that comes to you. Power of the Spirit comes and something you've been afraid to do suddenly this morning. There's, there's faith for you to do that. Do you know the Holy Spirit could give that to you like that? And you could read a book and get taught that over time. I and mean, he could do it either way. But listen for him to do that. Receive from him this morning. All right, let's pray for our fathers this morning. Lord, we pray for each of us who are here, who are fathers. Lord, you have entrusted lives to us. Oh, that is sobering. It's intimidating. These are not just any lives. They're the lives that we love the most. So, Lord, given how weighty this feels to us, given how much this means, Lord, we've got to stand before you and say, Lord, help us. Lord, do everything in your power to help us. Holy Spirit, impart to us wisdom. There are moments where guidance needs to come. Insight needs to come from you. We didn't know what to do and yet you showed us what to do. God, sustain us. Let it be that in the moments when we feel like we've just run out of gas and we just have nothing left in the tank, we've got something from you. We have food that no one knows about. It's come to us from you. Oh Lord, how many times we have needed to know You are with us as we have sought to serve and care for our families to know you are with us, Lord. That communion, that sense of your nearness, Lord, we want to know what it is to be like the psalmist that says the nearness of God is my good because, Lord, sometimes being a father doesn't always feel good. We need you near. Lord, there are temptations that face fathers. Temptations that run the risk of shattering trust within our own homes. Temptations that come that can break a marriage in half. But sometimes we're just tempted to fear. To not do what you've called us to do just because we're tempted by fear. Lord, we need the gift of prayer closets that revolutionize us, where we hear things that embolden us, 
where we interact with you in such a way, God, that grace comes flooding into our souls and what we were afraid to do yesterday, we are ready to do today. God, we need moments like these where your spirit is among us. He's in our midst. He's awakening and stirring and using teaching to prompt us. Lord, we need the secret place where we are absolutely vulnerable, where we are totally in your light and there's nothing hidden from you. And Lord, whatever it is about us as fathers that needs to be fixed, adjusted, corrected, inspired, Lord, whatever it is that doesn't hide in your light, it will be known and you will show it to us and we will be known by God. Then we will know as we ought to know. God, I pray for the gift of prayer closets for every man standing here today. The days ahead for us as fathers, as husbands, as single men who are raising their children. Lord, the gift that you would give to each and every man standing here today would be a prayer closet where the things that you experience, Lord, we experience. Give that, Lord. What a gift. We want to receive it this morning and then we want to be absorbed in it as we move ahead. Lord, all this we pray and we thank you for these men and for your grace for each of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day.